This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 91, PCOS and Acne, an interview with Dr. Sherry Marchbein. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I'm so excited today because a very good friend of mine, Sherry Marchbein, is joining me. We saw a recent post from Kiki Palmer on Instagram at Kiki talking about her PCOS and acne. And if you go read it, it's quite devastating. She shares not only a makeup-free picture of her face with scars and active lesions, she also talks about how long it has taken her to find somebody to take her problems seriously when it comes to PCOS and acne. Sherry's a board-certified dermatologist and she's a fellow of the American Academy of Dermatology. She practices in New York City in a private practice in Tribeca. She also teaches dermatology residents for the past 11 years as an assistant professor of clinical dermatology at NYU School of Medicine. She's a proud mother to two six-and-a-half-year-old twin boys who makes sure her life is never boring and keeps her on her toes. She's absolutely fabulous. You are going to love hearing from her today. So let's get started. Hi, Sherry. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me on the As a Woman podcast. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So thanks for agreeing to me harassing you to come on. (laughs) No, that's not how it went down at all. You said, hey, let's do an Instagram live. So for people who haven't known, Sherry's a dermatologist and we saw a post, you brought it to my attention from Kiki Palmer, who posted about some very severe acne and hyperpigmentation and scarring from her PCOS. So that's a symptom of PCOS. And you brought it to my attention and said, should we do an IG live about this? And I said, of course, yes. And we're actually still going to do that. But I also wanted to take it a step further. And so I begged you to last minute, come on the podcast. (laughs) This was not you harassing me at all. (laughs) That's sweet. It might've been the other way around, but that's still very sweet. Um, No, I mean, what an amazing podcast and and really forum you have. Um, But yeah, that was a devastating post for me to see as a dermatologist because I specialize in treating adult female acne. You know, I work in New York City. I um, am an assistant clinical professor of dermatology at NYU. So I see patients, of course, of all socioeconomic statuses and, um, you know, skin colors. And um, as someone who specializes in treating acne, I know, and adult female acne, because I also have acne, I know how really devastating it can be. And it's scarring both emotionally and physically. And when I saw her post, um, it was so raw and and it's so much of like how my patients often come to see me and often I'm the fifth person who they're seeing. They're really devastated by their acne. And, and I just feel like as a dermatologist, we just don't need to be having this anymore. Women do not need to struggle with acne. We have so many amazing treatments for it. You should never be, you know, stuck at home because you're embarrassed of your skin or you can hardly bear to, you know, look at in the mirror. And, um, I know that I'm kind of devastated when I have one pimple. So imagine having a, you know, a face full of them. Um, so yeah, I reached out to you right away. I'm like, we need to talk about this because with PCOS, the three specialties that manage it are OBGYN, derm and endocrinology, right? So we're kind of the, the, the people who tend to see it, manage it and diagnose it. And you have to have like this really high level of suspicion to get there often with a lot of, you know, your patients. 
I agree. And there's so much stigma around PCOS. Anything that truly is a female-based disorder in general, there's always health stigma as if you did something to cause your PCOS, which we both know in a large portion of patients, there's nothing at all you did. You were born with a genetic predisposition, environmental exposures, whatever, whatever it is. And then it's so hard because I honestly thought that was so vulnerable and brave of yeah. her to be posting her, you know, bare skin and her scars and really being a voice to try to destigmatize what PCOS can look like. And I think it's really interesting because you may see people earlier in their diagnosis than I do because irregular, so the symptoms of PCOS, so right, so it's irregular periods having high androgen levels. So androgen are the male hormones. And so that can either be in blood work or clinical signs such as acne or excess hair growth. And then having a certain ultrasound appearance of your ovaries, which have lots of small follicles. And that's what's part of the problem is that none of those follicles can ovulate and make estrogen. So the ovary shifts and starts making lots of testosterone. I see these people when they want to get pregnant and suddenly they care that their periods are irregular, but you probably see them earlier sometimes because of the acne is such an obvious complaint. Is that true? Yeah. So what's interesting is that what you were just talking about for anybody listening is called the Rotterdam criteria. And the thing about this criteria is that PCOS is not often an easy diagnosis to make. It's often a diagnosis of exclusion. So you have to rule out other things that are going on. Um, The other thing is, and and there are very atypical cases. So, you know, what we often used to think was somebody who's obese, um, who maybe has like hair growth on their chin or other areas and acne. And what we find is that not everybody is overweight. So we call it like a thin PCOS phenotype. And so not everybody meets that criteria. There are these atypical PCOS appearing patients. And so those are even harder to kind of make a diagnosis of because the typical things that we think about with a PCOS patient, they don't necessarily have. And I guess the the point that I want to drive home is you only need two out of the three criteria, and that can include having just acne. So acne thinning hair on the top of your head, women who have female pattern thinning um, or have excess hair on the chin or other areas that we consider kind of male pattern hair growth, um, something called acanthosis nigricans, which is thickening of the skin often at the back of the neck or under the armpits. There are other things that you can have, uh, you know, other than acne. And so it can be, that can be just one of the key things that tips you off or tips me off. So when I see somebody My practice is primarily treating adult female acne and doing aesthetic or cosmetic procedures. So I could spend all day seeing patients, female patients who have acne, and I love it because we make a really big difference in how somebody sees themselves and feels about themselves, Um, and, and that way they don't really have to suffer with their acne anymore, but I'm not curing it. I'm just controlling it. So when I see somebody, the things that might tip me off Um, and I had a patient this morning that this happened with, you know, if they've got really severe acne, so if I'm treating their acne and I'm finding that what I'm doing that should be working is not working, um, if they have sudden onset acne, so maybe they've never had acne before, all of a sudden, you know, or they've had mild acne and all of a sudden it's very severe and cystic and often that acne is located kind of on the lower third of the face around the jawline often women flare around their periods or mid-cycle when they ovulate, or if you have PCOS, you're not necessarily getting your period at the same time every month, or your period is, you know, delayed, or you're not getting it at all. Um, And so that severe onset of acne or acne that's not really responsive to other treatments that I'm like, "Mm, you should be getting better by now, and you're not, something may be going on here. But I saw a patient for the first time this morning who um, I just, I looked at her, and I just, you know, sometimes I think after doing this for 16 years, I can almost just like tell when I look at somebody and it just, you know, there's something about their story that, you know, she'd already been on spironolactone, she'd been on other things and didn't really respond. And I said to her, have you ever been worked up for PCOS? Because this is something that I often have conversations with my patients about. And she said, you know what, that's interesting that you're saying that my gynecologist thinks that I might have it. She said, I used to not get my period. I'm like, you have it. So you used to not get your period and you have bad, you know, hormonal acne, you have PCOS like that right there. Yeah, diagnosis it. I tell people this all the time because two out of three, so you can diagnose PCOS or at least have a huge index of suspicion, just irregular periods and having acne alone meet the Rotterdam criteria. Now, like you said, there are other things that can 
go along and have very similar kind of presentations that especially in a young woman, I like to rule out that it's not really a different disorder, like congenital adrenal hyperplasia, something like that. And so that's a blood test. The point is that the most common thing though is PCOS. And I really love, you said something that I always tell patients too, because one thing I hear is somebody will say, well, I don't have PCOS. I'm not overweight. And I always like to say there, there's two types of PCOS. There is yeah. what I call type one, the thin phenotype. This is just an you know end organ dysfunction. Your ovary is just not functioning. Brain and ovary are not communicating appropriately. And it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. You're born with a lot of eggs. And what happens is a lot of eggs come out every month. Brain sends out normal amount of FSH, but you don't ovulate. And when you don't ovulate, the ovary can't make high enough levels of estrogen that it wants to because the ovary loves to make hormones. So it starts making testosterone and you get in a pathway. What is similar is that women who are overweight, fat cells make estrogen and that estrogen tells the brain to send out less FSH and you get a clouded picture from that. And so what we see now is that there are a lot of women who are overweight who do also have PCOS. Their PCOS is just as valid, but it makes it really tough clinically because when you use Rotterdam criteria and you do studies on PCOS, you are taking both of these groups of women and studying them. So you have kind of both phenotypes. And it also is hard for people because they go and they Google things like, how do I fix my PCOS? And they're going to say, go lose 10% of your body weight. And that's not the case for everybody. And that's really frustrating to hear that because it feels like there's a lot of self-blame onto this disease. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think even that with acne, right? 95% of people get acne at some point. It is the most common skin condition in the United States. So think about it. We have acne, which is the most common skin condition, PCOS, which I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, affects somewhere in the 15% Mm -hmm. of women. Um, So you know, you've got two pretty common disease entities that come together and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And often when people, you know, with acne, am I not cleaning enough? Does this mean that I'm dirty? Is there something wrong with me? No, it doesn't. And in fact, and I may have mentioned this before, but the great majority of women who have adult female acne, including myself, do not have any hormonal irregularities. So when you have you know, adult female acne, again, that flare around your period, that lower third of your face breakouts with the cystic, you know, acne. Um, It does not mean that you have a hormonal imbalance. I have a very high degree of suspicion when I see patients and there are certain things that make me question it, but the majority of women do not. This is just who we are. and, And we don't know exactly why it happens. Our oil glands in those areas for some people just are more responsive to male hormone like testosterone. And so we make acne, but um, we just don't know exactly why acne happens. And we don't know why it's so common. I mean, 50% of 20 year old women have adult female acne. It's pretty, it's a staggering statistic. So there isn't anything wrong that you've done. Um, And we have great treatments. We just don't have cures for either of these things. So the, the goal is really to try to get them under control. And luckily we often use the same treatments for both of them. So that's very helpful. But you know, what I often say to my patients is knowledge is power. And so when they ask me, do you think I should go back to my gynecologist and talk about it? I always tell them, yes, first of all, I think it's a great idea to talk about it. Um, And knowing is important because even if you're 24 now and I'm seeing you for your acne, at some point it can affect your fertility. And I tell them this and that it's a really good thing to just know um, I'm going to put them, you know, on spironolactone. We can use birth control pills, right? I use spironolactone all the time for acne. So I'm going to use things that would end up treating both um, conditions, but I still think knowledge is power. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer's upon us. 
Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And the, the other thing that I want to say is that the tricky thing about diagnosing PCOS and that, tell me if you've had this, but you know, when someone's already on a birth control pill or some hormonal, you know, um, contraceptive, you actually need to be off of hormones for six weeks in order to get an accurate hormonal evaluation. Well, that's really hard for me to convince my patients to come off of their birth control pill or for me to delay putting them on spironolactone for four to six weeks when they're having scarring cystic acne and they're hyperpigmenting. So if clinically I can make the diagnosis, I make it and then we start them on treatment because I hate delaying treatment for people who are scarring and have really bad hyperpigmentation, like what we were seeing with, you know, Kiki Palmer, because um, it's really debilitating and to delay the treatment further can really affect someone's self-esteem. I agree. I think you have to decide what's most important at that exact moment. I'm actually, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, most people who come see me are trying to get pregnant. So they've been off their pill and that's when Good point. they're... Yep. PCOS unveils itself. So something that I see very often, and I really want to dive in, I'm going to pound you on all the kind of treatments and recommendations, but (laughs) here's one thing that really gets me about PCOS is there's a huge push in medicine in general, especially in things that have to do with like hormones or fertility or derm, anything aesthetic, that natural is better than anything else. And so I see women say, Hey, um, I have PCOS but it was caused by the birth control pill because somebody put me on it when I was young and now I stopped it and my periods are irregular and they've never been irregular before. And you and I, I see you shaking your head, but we're (laughs) like, no, you, somebody, you know, took whatever symptom it was you had as a teenager, you had acne or irregular periods or something. And they gave you a birth control pill, which was treating it. Maybe they didn't explain it to you well for why they were doing it. So you lived your life all these years being treated. And then yep. you stop your pill because you want to be pregnant and your body reverts to normal. But it's not that modern medicine or the birth control pill went and caused you to have PCOS. It's truly just that you were controlling some of these things by taking a medication that is known to treat PCOS. And now you're not because you want to get pregnant and we're seeing the baseline again. But I'm sure you see that too. There's, I just see a huge push towards resistance to pills overall because this presumption that they're bad for you or that they yep. cause, th- are you seeing that on the derm side of things? 
Yeah. So first of all, I always like to tell people that I have acne and that I'm on all of these treatments. I'm on birth control pills and I'm on spironolactone plus topicals because first of all, I think it helps normalize it. Okay. I also had preemie twins at 30 weeks. I also had severe preeclampsia, right? Like our bodies do things that we cannot control and it's not your fault. And I'll tell you something, I blame myself for having preemies for a very long time. And then I realized, you know, I did the best that I could. And this is what my body was sort of doing at the time. So I get why people beat themselves up for it and really kind of, you know, think that it's something that they're doing or want to blame something else, but it's not, our bodies just do things sometimes. What I find in New York is that, um, and again, I don't know if I'm an exception here. A lot of people are afraid of hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I try to explain to them, and you are much better because I always, my dad's an OBGYN and I always say OBGYNs are far smarter than I am and that they really should be the one. I'm like, they really should be the ones talking to you about this, not me. But, um, you know, we, we know that birth control pills, first of all, are FDA approved to treat acne. Um, and they're also a great treatment for PCOS and, um, all birth control pills now, because they're worried about like a high estrogen, all of them have low estrogen, you know, compared to multiple decades ago, um, the, everything. So even if you're doing a low, low or a low, they're all low. Even if you're doing a regular, yes. they're all they're low, all right? Low. They're all like teeny tiny amounts. And um, we can do kind of cool things with birth control pills because um, I can, if someone, let's say, is still flaring with cysts around their period, we can have them not get a period, right? Because I can have them just take a continuous birth control pill. Or there are lots of things that we can do. They help to kind of eat up testosterone in the blood and progesterone. You know, they help with ovulation. They help with the hormonal breakouts. There's so many great things about birth control pills. And again, I like to tell people that I'm on them too. It's okay. Because um, I do think that people are often very afraid of doing something that's unnatural or they don't want to put hormones in their body. And it's like, well, you, you don't have to but you might still have breakouts and you might still have other things that I can't get under control unless we actually control you hormonally because this is what your body is doing. So, you know, yeah. natural does not mean better. I don't want to rub poison ivy all over myself. I know, so, right? Well, you know. Lots of natural things that are just no good. Let's just, exactly. let's, let's dive into some of the treatments. So I want to just kind of go right. over like medication-wise treatments first, and then let's just talk okay. about like skincare, health, and stuff that people should do. So we've already been talking about birth control pills a little bit. Yes. Birth control pills are ethanol estradiol plus a variety of different progesterones. The progesterones, some of them are more androgenic and some of them are less androgenic, which means they mimic testosterone or they oppose testosterone. But no matter what type of progestin is in the pill, the ethanol estradiol, when it gets metabolized in the liver, it all increases sex hormone binding globulin with what you exactly said, it binds up testosterone. So it eats up testosterone and you get a lowering of your testosterone. And I, almost every patient with PCOS who's struggling, even who's trying to get pregnant, I very often put them on pills for a little bit of time because we can get testing done or this or that. And it, they feel better. Their hormones are more stable yep. and they feel better. Their acne gets better. And so I'm presuming that that's one of the things you talk about to your patients. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think that there are four FDA approved birth control pills for the treatment of acne. That being said, any combined oral contraceptive pill. So as you mentioned, if it has estrogen and progesterone will treat your acne, that is a treatment. It's just that some of the companies have not spent the money to gain FDA approval. So it doesn't mean that they won't work. They do. And I really defer to, you know, gynecologists to help prescribe the birth control pill that they find is best for, um, for the patient. There are certain ones that I prefer for acne. So I, I really like monophasic birth control pills, which Same. means that it's, it's, there's no need for triphasics okay. anymore. So we Perfect. Can all agree I love, by the way, by the way, Natalie and I did not talk about this beforehand. <laughs> so, but, but I, I, you know, I love you and this just makes me love you more. So I love monophasic birth control pills. That means that you're taking the same dose every day. So things like Sprintec, et cetera, are really great ones. Um, and often those are the ones that I find can be really helpful when you want to do something called a continuous birth control pill, where every three weeks, instead of taking your placebo, you start a brand new pack. I, by the way, do that. And I haven't had my period in about seven years Thanks. since I had my children. <laughs> 
I love you. There's no reason for a period. No reason for acne, no reason for a period. I'm done. Correct. Correct. There's, unless you want to get pregnant, you don't need a period. And by the way, it's safe and that you're the one to talk about this, but because you have, you're not having unopposed action of either hormone, you're having them combined there. It's totally safe to do. You do not need to have a period. I don't even own a tampon. Like I wouldn't even know where to get one or what to do with it, to be honest at this point. I'm just going <laughs> to echo this really quickly because I love it. You, you said it perfectly. So there's no, nothing unopposed. So there's no reason why you have to have a period. So it's perfectly fine to have amenorrhea or absence of periods. If you're on hormonal contraception, whether it's a Mirena IUD or a birth control pill, because we know that that's a known side effect. And that side effect can be highly beneficial to women who don't want to go on the tampon hunt. But if you have PCOS <laughs> and you never have periods because you just have PCOS, that's a very different scenario. Yes. Unopposed yes. estrogen from untreated PCOS and not having your periods is not okay. One of the most severe medical complications that can come out of PCOS is endometrial cancer, which happens from unexplained or from unopposed estrogen, from never ovulating, never being on any type of treatment. So I tell my PCOS patients this all the time, I can put you on a birth control pill and you can never have a period and that's fine. But if you are on nothing and you never have a period, that's not good. So there's a very big difference there. But yes, I love continuous birth control pills too. So I think that's, we're the same. Yay. Oh my God. I love this. Um, so yeah, that's something that I often talk to my patients about. And I just want to bring up one thing because you mentioned Marina. So um, as a dermatologist, you, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to, so I, I love Marina because obviously you don't get your, well, a lot of patients love it because you don't get your period and they do love that. But Mirena, for those who don't know, is a progesterone-secreting IUD. And there are multiple progesterone-secreting IUDs. Um, and then there are copper IUDs. But the progesterone-secreting ones, unfortunately, have been linked to causing acne. So if you look at the package insert of Mirena, I believe it's about 13% of uh, patients who have Mirena um, do experience acne. And so although it is not the worst thing in the world to be on if you have acne, it often explains it. So when I see patients who have adult female acne, of course, I'm always doing an intake on what form of, of you know, contraception are you on? Because it's very important. If you're on a progesterone secreting IUD, that's important for me. Number one, it's a little bit harder for me to treat your acne um, because I, there's actually a reason that you're getting it, right? The progesterone is actually stimulating, you know, oil gland production and breakout. So you can definitely get acne from that. And I have actually had patients who have taken out their marina and their acne cleared up. So it, it, is, a, it is a real thing. I don't love it for people who are already experiencing acne, but I do think it's amazing because you don't get your period. So if it's up to me, I like combined oral contraceptive pills the best because I'm also getting an FDA approved treatment for acne. Um, but you brought up Marina, so I just had to give my yeah. two, my two cents about it. But I I love IUDs because they're like no maintenance. I mean, they right? are. Like, yeah, yeah, but I, I totally agree. I see patients all the time who complain about their acne on it, and I also just to think about it, the IUD is a progesterone only. So the whole reason it's the oral metabolism of the birth control pill that helps with the whole testosterone pathway because it gets metabolized in the liver. And that doesn't happen at all with an IUD in your uterus that's secreting progesterone. So right. I totally agree with you is that if you get on a Mirena, it's great for contraception. One of the best contraception yeah. options we have for any, any IUDs, and, but the progesterone based ones may increase your acne. And if they do definitely bring it up to your dermatologist. I hope most derms are as good as you as eliciting out, you know, hormones that people are on or what they're using. But my suspicion is that not everybody is. So if you're right, I have to, yeah, not everybody is. Listen, it has to be, we're all passionate about different things. And I, in a way, hate the word passion because everybody's passionate about something, but I, I sort of live and breathe acne. And for me, um, when someone comes in three months later and they're not breaking out anymore, it just does something warm and fuzzy to me. And I feel like I've made a real difference for somebody. It may sound really silly. I'm not curing cancer. I may not be doing something really important, but to me, it feels like it is. And to that patient, it feels like it is. So um, I do think it's really important. These nuances are important. And I give a lecture every year at NYU in front of a couple hundred dermatologists about acne and how to prescribe spironolactone and how to use it, because I think it's really important to learn how to control the hormones. If you're just going to give somebody with you know, cystic acne topical medications, it's not going to work. So it's really a more, what I'll call holistic approach, meaning whole body approach, not necessarily natural is better, but whole body holistic approach to how we deal with 
acne, hormonal acne, PCOS, et cetera. So the birth control pill we talked about, right? Was there anything else that we wanted to talk about that are little nuances with it? <laughs> no, I just want to say, I disagree with you. I think improving somebody's acne can completely change their life because oh. you can get, I mean, seriously though, think about yeah. your confidence, the things they're going to feel like they can go forward and do. That's a huge, huge deal there. And by being an expert in adult female acne, I mean, that's really special. That's really special. So don't, don't be like, it's not curing cancer. I mean, to any, <laughs> it could definitely change somebody's entire life, but no, I, it's, I'll tell you when someone says to me, I don't have to wear any makeup anymore to go out, meaning their hyperpigmentation is better and you know, they're feeling great and they don't have to cover up their breakouts. It is just, it is a great feeling for them. I know that they feel amazing about it. And I, I do know that it is life changing for them, um, in that way. So yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a blessing and I'm honored anytime somebody wants to come in and let me kind of touch their face and treat them. So, um, so that's birth control pills. Should we talk about Spyro? I am I talking over say, this? No, that's exactly this podcast? We, I think we just have the same wavelength because that's, that's exactly where we both wanted to go. So when okay. do you just, when do you prescribe spironolactone? Day one. Day one, day one, day one. So spironolactone for me, I could not practice medicine without. It is hands down my most favorite medication. As I have mentioned, I am on it as well. Um, I just love this pill. So spironolactone is actually not FDA approved to treat acne. It's not FDA approved to do anything with your skin. It is a diuretic and we use it. It's FDA approved for um, basically high blood pressure. So it can help you pee a little bit more and it can lower your blood pressure a little bit more. And what they found when um, using it is that it's also an anti-androgen. So in the same way that birth control pills kind of eat up, what I like to say, like eat up hormone in your blood, this does too, but it's at the level of your oil glands. It's so cool because it literally works uh, like at the level of your skin. So I just love this pill. It's like a little um, Pac-Man. It's like a Pac-Man for hormone in your skin. It's like a Pac-Man for hormone in your skin. And um, it's a really great medication. So the main potential side effects for anybody who's taking it, and I literally, I feel like I say this 30 times a day, um, are, is breast tenderness and a little bit of an irregular period. And by the way, those are uncommon. If you're on a birth control pill or some other form of contraception, it's really uncommon, but it's not impossible. So like, could you have a little spotting from it for a month or two? Sure. Might your period be a little bit irregular for a couple of months? Yes, but it's, it, it's unusual that that happens. Because it's a diuretic, you might pee a little bit more on it. Um, so if you find yourself going to the bathroom a little bit more, that would be normal. You could also get a little dizzy or lightheaded. You know, women, our blood pressure tends to run a little low anyway. So when I give you a medication that might lower it a teeny tiny bit more when you stand up, you might get a little bit dizzy, but these are all things that pass. They're not anything that's debilitating or that should stop anybody from taking this medication. And then the other thing that I always warn patients about is that because it's something called a potassium sparing diuretic, it can increase the potassium level in your blood. Now there was a great study done in 2015, which is a really a study that changed my practice of medicine um, that was done on female patients. And they looked at patients who were both on spironolactone and those not on spironolactone. And what they found is that if you were young and healthy and under the age of 45, there was no higher chance of you having high potassium on spironolactone versus off of spironolactone. So I don't routinely check potassium levels in patients. I used to, if you asked me 10 years ago, I was checking in on everybody. And now I don't anymore, which makes it so much more convenient for patients. So um, I don't really routinely check it unless you have kidney disease, heart disease, or you're on some other medication like ACE inhibitors or something else that would you know, increase your level of um, potassium. The other thing I will mention, though, is that many of us are on SSRIs these days because anxiety and depression are real and certainly real in the time of COVID. Um, and there's a potential to change your sodium level in your blood with SSRIs and spironolactone. So I'll check occasional sodium levels in patients who are on that. And um, again, not being, you know, joking about it in any way, but in New York City, I, I'd say we're all on SSRIs. So, you know, I, I do sort of, you know, check that. Um, for those patients. But this is a great medication. It's super well tolerated. If you come in with adult female acne, we are talking about it day one. On you, unless you have the most mild acne, we're talking about it day one. Um, and I typically start, I actually use doses. I don't, I don't know how high, how high do you usually go with your Spiro? We've never 100. talked about this. 
Okay, so I start at a hundred. Oh, well, look at us! You're you're the expert on this one. I usually do a hundred, <laughs> and then like you know, with a birth control pill. But yes, so I for adult female acne, and especially those who again are on Mirena or some sort of progesterone secreting IUD, um, or those who have PCOS. Remember, I said there's a lot of people who are harder to manage. And then I'm going to add in my next category, which is mask acne, which is also really difficult to treat. Um, I started 100 milligrams of Spiro. I usually do it at nighttime, but you could do it in the morning if you really want to. And then um, the next month, so I have a very low, we, we want to get you clear quickly. So within three months, my goal is for you to have no acne. So I see you back a month later and we go up to 150 if you're not clear. And then I see you back a month later and we go up to 200 if you're not clear. And I actually even go up to 250, which I find that some of my patients need. And we use it in much higher doses for other um other medical conditions, just not skin. So I don't go higher than that, but we certainly use it for, you know, for other things at higher doses. So that's how I dose Spiro. And it is just, it is a game changing, like lifesaver. I love it. So I want to say a couple of things. One being that uh, spironolactone is a really great option. I find, and you can tell me if your experience, because you have more acne based experience that it tends to work better when a patient is on Spiro plus birth control pills, just the combination Absol of them both. Absolutely. Acne is never a one medicine treatment. So mono, you know, monotherapy, one drug topically or orally does not work to treat acne. For me, acne is a combination of multiple topicals and two um, oral medications, which is birth control pills and spironolactone. They work much better. They augment each other because, you know, as you said, we've got like Pac-Man in the blood, the birth control pill, and then we have Pac-Man at the skin and that's spironolactone. So, you know, we have, we're kind of, you know, treating you from different angles and that's really what works best. Also so I agree for, with you. Yeah. For this audience though, we do not want women who are trying to get pregnant or who are pregnant on spironolactone. So if Correct. you're to this and you're like, oh, I have terrible acne, I want to get started on spironolactone, you're not a candidate for it if you're trying to get pregnant. You have to be preventing a pregnancy. And that's because if you got pregnant, there could be birth defects because of the in inhibition of the testosterone pathway here, especially, you know, in a male fetus. So yes. that's not something that we're doing if you're actively trying to get pregnant. So sometimes I'll have patients they come to me because they want a baby, they have bad PCOS, and we take a few months off and they go on birth control pills and Spirono and just try to control some symptoms and feel yep. better. And then we try again because you can't do that while you want to be pregnant. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is a conversation I have with every single patient who comes in is we ask, the, are you pregnant? Are you nursing? And are you trying to get pregnant? Because that's really important. And it totally changes the way what I prescribe and how I treat acne. So yeah, they have to come off a of spironolactone. I always tell them when you stop your birth control pill, you get out your Mirena, your Spiro's got to you know, stop also. Um, so you can't do it while you're pregnant. Um, as you mentioned, if you were to have a male fetus, um, it could cause hormonal, obviously, abnormalities and, and issues with that. So that's a big no-no. You can, however, take it while you are nursing. Um, so if I have a patient who's got really severe cystic acne after they've had the baby, I will have that conversation um, with them. The other thing I'll just mention about Spiro, because there's a lot in the literature about it, is about can you use it if you have had a history of breast cancer? Does it cause other tumors? And the answer is no. There are amazing European studies that look at like millions of years of patient experiences with this medication. And what we know is that it doesn't. It doesn't cause cancer. I've used it in patients who have had breast cancer. I've spoken to oncologists about it. It is just an exceptionally safe medication um, and not something that I want people afraid of because as you said, people are often afraid of things that are not natural. And by the way, what I tell them about Spiro is, it's actually anti-hormonal. I'm not even giving you a hormone. I'm just, I'm blocking, I'm blocking your or own hormones. That, that's as natural as it gets. Like I'm anti-hormonal here. I <laughs> so. love it. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet-famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared 
without any of those hard to pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. So let's shift gears just for a moment. And I want you, yeah. because now, now we're done with my knowledge on acne, completely done. So <laughs> passing the baton, I want to hear you and I'll just let you kind of go on your, what your take is on topicals and what people yeah. should know about topicals and then skincare, like regimen health. Because one thing I have heard from dermatologists in the past is that a lot of times people with acne will like over clean right. their skin and they actually are not taking care of it in the way that is actually appropriate purely because we don't know any better and we think that cleaner must be better. So what is your thought on topicals and then skincare health? Okay. So first of all, remember acne is not your fault. There's nothing that you're doing wrong. That being said, right. So there's nothing that you're doing that's actually like causing this. This is often hereditary in nature, or again, it's something that's hormonal and all acne is hormonal. Even teenage acne is hormonal. So just think about that. These are hormones that you're making that are interacting with your oil glands. So as far as skincare goes, I'll just start by saying that you really always want to look for things that are non-comedogenic, basically meaning they've been tested to not clog your pores and that are oil-free. So I am not a fan of acne patients putting oils on their faces. Some, and a lot of people do this. They think it's a good way to moisturize. They think it's a good way to cleanse. If you have acne or acne prone, you really shouldn't be using them. Certain oils are worse than others. Coconut oil is awful on the skin. It's very, very comedogenic. It clogs the pores easily. It's bad for fertility too. It blocks sperm. So, you know. Oh, well, that's good to know. Good Lord. (laughs) See how much? See how much overlap there is? This is but uh, but everybody loves coconut oil right now. Of course. Now, wait, I just want to tell you something. It is good if you've got really dry hair. So I'll say from a hair standpoint, but on your skin, it's an absolute no-no. Um, and very highly, highly comedogenic. So definitely no coconut oil. If you're going to do an oil, like argan oil and jojoba oil are better, but still I don't like oils for that. So look for oil-free and non-comedogenic. Every single patient of mine who has acne basically gets started on a cocktail of topicals. And that starts with a retinoid. So retinoids are vitamin A derivatives, also not safe during pregnancy, by the way. So these are vitamin A derivatives like Retin-A, Tazerac, Differin. I mean, I'm sure all of you have heard about these at some point in your life. And they help to unclog the pores. They're also great because they're anti-aging. So they build collagen, they help with fine lines and wrinkles and brown spots. So there's so much like good that retinoids do, but retinoids are the backbone of any good acne routine. So everybody gets started on a retinoid at nighttime. I usually will use some sort of topical antibiotic with benzoyl peroxide in the morning. Remember that antibiotics, there are bacteria on your skin that don't want them to work. And so that's called antibiotic resistance. And it's very important that we limit the amount of antibiotics that we use. So I almost never use oral antibiotics to treat acne, but I do use them topically in combination with benzoyl peroxide. Benzoyl peroxide is an anti-inflammatory medication and it also prevents bacterial resistance. So those are really good combos together. Um, or you could do it as like a wash or a combo gel. And then the last thing that I really like is there's a topical called Dapsone. And when they did the studies, yeah, Dapsone is, a, is an anti-inflammatory medication. We use it by mouth for other inflammatory skin conditions. But when they did the studies on it, this was so interesting. They found that it actually works better in adult women than teenage women and better in women than men. We don't usually think about topical acne medications that work better in genders, right? Like one gender versus the other. So that was really fascinating. And so I use topical Dapsone for almost all of my adult female acne patients. It's not really irritating, which is great because retinoids, Retin-A is very irritating. And so, you know, it's good to use something that's not super irritating um, and it works very well for adult female acne. That being said, so sometimes if someone's really hesitant to go on a pill, we'll start with my little topical, you know, cocktail. And then I always see everybody back a month later. Acne is not really one of these things that you want to say, hey, I'll see you in six months because you could be scarring and severely hyperpigmented by then just like Kiki Palmer's post, which if you look back at her post, you'll see that the majority of what she has is post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. 
which is just as devastating as actual scarring. So those so, are the dark spots on your skin. Those are the dark spots. Yeah, and her and she, her um, her skin is complicated because she has hypopigmentation. Also, you'll notice that she's got dark spots with lighter spots in the middle. So it's really difficult. The more melanin you have in your skin, the more likely you are to hyperpigment. And so when I see patients who are skin of color, it's especially important to be aggressive and be aggressive quickly. There are very good studies that show that Asian patients in particular have a very high propensity for scarring, severe scarring, even from mild acne. And then of course, we see really awful hyperpigmentation in those who have more melanin. So it's really, really important because that affects your self-esteem. That hyperpigmentation can last six to 12 months. I mean, it's no joke and it's really hard to get rid of. Um, so. The things that I do, by the way, to get rid of that, Retin-A works great because it helps to exfoliate the skin. So remember I said retinoids are great for acne, but they're also great for hyperpigmentation. Sun protection is key. I love it. Rihanna put out a thing, like, I don't know how many weeks ago it was, and she was like, hello, you need to wear sunscreen 365. Well, you do. It doesn't matter what you're... It was so, it was so good. She's like, who do you think you are? You gotta wear sunscreen every day. I'm like, I love you. Um, so it's true. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. You must wear sunscreen every single day. That's very important. And especially if you're acne prone, because those of us who have acne, you know, if you ever get a zit and it leaves you with a pink spot or a brown spot for like months and months, that's the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So if you get any sun, it's going to just make that darker. So you have to sun protect like crazy. And I usually recommend at least a 30 SPF. I also like tinted sunscreens because they block blue light. So blue light, like I'm holding up my iPad right now, blue light from your iPad or your phone or your computer can actually make that, those spots darker. So using something tinted and PS, put on makeup. It's okay. You can go bare face. Okay. But also you don't have to be like ashamed to wear makeup and to say, I'm going to cover this up until I feel better or I want to present my skin without it. It's okay. Whatever makes you feel better. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up. If you don't want to wear makeup, you don't have to. And if you want to, it's fine. As long as it's those two things, the oil-free and non-comedogenic, you can wear makeup if you have acne. It's okay. Um, so those are, um, I don't even know what the heck I was, oh, oh, wait, I know what I was talking about. I was talking about, <laughs> what was I talking about? Hyperpigmentation. Hyperpigmentation. So the, so the sun protection, the retinoids, vitamin C serum is amazing for hyperpigmentation. And this is really, you have to see your dermatologist. I mean, let us guide you with this, but they're great vitamin C serums. So those are things that can help lighten. And then we have lightening, like non-bleaching things, soy, licorice, kojic acid, tranexamic acid. We have so many things to help. And sometimes I'll do chemical peels. Sometimes we can do lasers. But remember, we don't laser you while, while you have like active acne. So we really have to, I always like to say, you put out the fire before you paint the house. So you got to like shut it down and you can address the hyperpigmentation at the same time. But if you keep getting acne, you're going to continue to get hyper. Yeah. You're going to continue to get hyperpigmented and scarred. So it makes no sense to me. I often see patients who are like, you know, going to a spa and they're like having their, you know, scar treat, scars treated, but they have active inflammatory cystic acne. It makes no sense. It's a waste of money. What you need is good acne treatment. And then you go back and you treat the scarring after the fact, but um, the hyperpigmentation could be done at the same time. Anyway, can you tell, I love talking about acne. I, I love this so much. <laughs> the one thing I kind of want to shift gears for a moment on, yeah. and then I know we have to wrap it up soon, but yeah, the, um, Kiki Palmer in her post, so she had this Instagram post. So if you have not seen it, you can go look at it. One thing that struck me a lot, because I see this all the time in infertility, not about acne, but you know, it wasn't until the fifth doctor I saw who actually listened to me, paid attention to my symptoms, figured out what was going on. I was dismissed. There was a lot of kind of hurt from the medical community that she was expressing in that post that really made my heart hurt, just not yeah. just because of how her skin looked, but also because feeling that your problems aren't being heard or that nobody is paying attention to you and you're not getting the help you need from medical professionals is a problem across the board, especially for women when and it's any type of issue. I see this woman with PCOS, endometriosis, infertility. They're saying, I saw this doctor, I brought this up. I was you know, disregarded all these times. And now I'm finally at you, doctor number four. And you're telling me I had this problem somebody could have found. And you already told, told me that earlier that you often see patients much later in the game. And so I'm sure when you read that in her post, that really struck a nerve for you too. 
Yeah, it did. I, I was actually really devastated. I think that's why I messaged you right away. I'm like, we have to talk about this because there's so much. I'm like, I'm taking a deep breath because there's so much to kind of digest in her post. And part of it is obviously as, as a physician, as a dermatologist, um, I'm like, I want to, I want to reach out to her and say like, can I help you? And come see me and like, we'll make this better. And we'll write because it hurts me to know that someone has been suffering. It, it is suffering. I, I'm going to say suffering that someone has been suffering with these sort of breakouts and hyperpigmentation and not receiving the care that she should have been receiving. And, um, and we know that we know that often, especially uh, patients who are skin of color are marginalized and not listened to. Um, but I think that this is a bit universal because I am often, you know, the fifth doctor. I have a patient right now. I'm the ninth dermatologist uh. who she saw. Now, now I will say we had a, we had a, a long talk when, when she first came in because I said, well, how long did you give someone before you didn't go back? And it was like, well, I went once and then I didn't go back. And it's like, you know, sometimes we have to kind of stick it out because we can't fix things in one appointment. So some of it is, patient expectations of what we as physicians are able to do. You know, these are not easy diagnoses to make. As Natalie and I have been talking about, PCOS can be very difficult to diagnose. And I'm not making excuses for doctors, but uh, when, you know, you're seeing 30 plus patients in a day and you're doing lots of other things and on the way out, someone says, oh, and by the way, I have irregular periods or I have some acne it's not the first thing on your mind to start another 20 minute conversation, you know, so that can be, I think as doctors were and healthcare providers were often overloaded with the things that we have to do. Um, and when somebody just so you know, like when someone comes into my office and they want, let's say a skin check um, and they want to talk about their acne, I actually tell them that they need a separate full appointment for their acne, acne and, and lots of other things are not things that should be combined with other appointments. That really does a disservice to the patient. Um, we need to spend time. I want to sit down, look you in the eye and talk to you for 15 or 20 minutes about what's going on and make sure that we are going to get to the bottom of this and treat you, but I can't do it in the three minutes that I have left at the end of a skin check. So, you know, I do think that setting expectations is appropriate. Um, but I think that we need to do a better job kind of, you know, listening to our patients and making sure that they know what's going on, giving them as much information as they want. Again, knowledge is power, helping them figure out what's going on. Um, you know, let's get to the bottom of this and let's treat it appropriately and address things head on. You know, if you treat adult female acne, Kiki had mentioned that she was on Accutane twice. Accutane is a wonderful medication, but it actually does not cure adult female acne. So unlike if you're a 14-year-old teenage boy who it might have a really, really good you know, effect with, or I, I mean, I've got a ton of patients on Accutane right now, but if you are an adult female patient or you have PCOS, you have a chronic underlying condition that is perpetuating your acne, right? You have high testosterone levels. You're going to keep getting acne. So Accutane is going to help you temporarily and your acne is going to come back with a vengeance right afterwards. So that's why things like birth control pills and spironolactone are so important as kind of chronic treatments. They're safe. They're effective. We can stay on them long-term unless you want to get pregnant. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's important as physicians. It, 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 yeah, it hurt my heart because I sort of dedicate my life to doing this. And I felt both devastated for her as a patient and also kind of devastated like for us as doctors, right? Because I don't think, okay, I'm going to say this in the nicest way. When I had my severe preeclampsia, I was sent home three times from the hospital. Mm. I knew I was having preeclampsia. I knew it. I was like, something's wrong with my body. I don't feel well. Something is going on. And I got sent home three times. Oh, that makes me like so and nervous to hear. Can I tell you something? It made me like when I finally, when they finally said you're preeclampsia, I'm like, I know I've been telling you guys that for like days now. I kept going back every day because I was like, no one's listening to me, but I'm telling you something is wrong. And I, I think that that's how she's feeling, right? It's like, no one's listening to me, but I'm telling you that something's going on with my body. And it's frustrating when you don't know what that is. So having an answer, being able to say, hey, I have PCOS and I have acne is really important. 
but it's also important to say, I can do something about this. I can't cure it. Just like so many things that we can't cure, but we have really great treatment. So I don't want people to give up. I want people to know that if you find somebody, find a physician, a dermatologist or an OBGYN or an endocrinologist who really is dedicated to trying to figure things out, be on your team with you. That is the most important thing. Be a team with your doctor and get to the bottom of what's going on and then treat it effectively. And that to me, I, I feel like that was the most heartbreaking thing. Cause I'm like, she needs like a team. Like I want to like hug her and like be on her team. You know? I, lo I love you so much. I feel like we are very similar just in different yeah. worlds of where we practice because <laughs> I feel this way all the time. People will reach out to me on social media and tell me their stories. And I am sad for them and sad for how are doctor, how are we getting to this place? And the one thing yeah. that I would say is essentially what you said, it's okay to be your own advocate, you know, empower yourself by knowing when you should feel okay, pushing a little bit harder for yourself and standing up and saying this problem I need help with. And it's okay to get other opinions. It really is. Some people are not going to be a good fit for your team. And if you're not getting what you need out of the doctor patient relationship, it is okay to go find somebody else who maybe is more specialized in that or who just has a style that's going to resonate with you better, whatever. Yeah. No, st styles are important. Like I'm a huggy kissy person. Right. So actually co COVID's really hard for me because I can't, I mean, I touch patients, obviously I'm doing things to them all the time, but like, I want to hug them. So now we do like virtual hugs, but you know, that to me is something that's important when somebody comes in. I want them to feel loved. I want them to know that I am with them through this process that, um, I, I know that I am going to make this better and that we're going to do it together and it's hard work for them and that, um, and that they can do it too. And I'm there to support them and they can reach out whenever they need, but I'm there to support them through this process. And then, you know, when a few months go by and they're clear and I'm like, we did it. This is the best ever, but it's because of their hard work, right? It's way easier for me than it is for them. I just, I just prescribe the stuff that's going to work and then they have to actually go home and do it. So being a patient who has PCOS and acne you know, is hard because you have a lot that you've got to do when you leave my office. Um, I just, I wanted to mention one thing quickly, which is a lot of patients with acne are afraid to moisturize their skin. I'm just going back to skincare very yeah. quickly. Um, you have to moisturize your skin. It's extremely important. We know that acne has a damaged skin barrier. So it means that there actually is something innately wrong with your skin. Eczema, rosacea, psoriasis, those all have diminished or damaged skin barriers as well. So if you don't moisturize your skin, not only will it make your acne worse um, and you'll continue to have acne, but you're not going to tolerate the medications that I give you to put on because things like retinoids can be very drying. So you don't need to be afraid to moisturize. Um, you can always look at like, I post the things that I really love, but again, non-comedogenic and oil-free and ingredients like ceramides and hyaluronic acid and glycerin, those are great for your skin. And so don't be afraid. You might say, oh, I'm really oily. I can't moisturize. Yes, you should. You have acne and moisturizers alone can actually help with some of the inflammation because sometimes you said, you know, we're overstripping, we're overwashing, we're doing all these things that are just making us break out more and that are just really harsh for our very, very sensitive faces. <laughs> so take care of your sensitive face and give it- Take care. That's right. Okay. Well, I am going to say thank you so, so much for joining me. And I told you I'd pick your brain for 30 minutes and it's been an hour and I love you so, so much. Oh and I just, please tell everybody who is listening where they can find you on social media, because I know you have a wealth of information online, just trying to help people. And so where all can patients find you? So right now, because my TikTok is, I can't figure that out, Nat. I have to talk to you about that because you something's that going girl. Yeah. No, no. It, I, I literally can't sign in. Okay. I am electronically challenged <laughs> and we're going to have a conversation about this later, but, but you can find me on Instagram at dr. Dr. Sherry Marchfine. So that's where you can find me. And, um, I love you. Thank you for having me. I could really talk about acne all day long. It's a problem. It's I love it. It's a problem that I have. Um, but what this, what this about if anybody, what about if anybody wants to be your patient? How do they become a patient of yours if they live in New York? Ah, yes. You can call my office to, I'm in Tribeca, 212-233-2995. Um, and I would love to see you there. And honestly, you can find me because it's linked on my Instagram. So by all means, come and see me. Or if you're in the tri-state area, New York is 
fantastic right now. I've been living here through the pandemic with my children. You're all good. You will not see my face, but you will see me in an N95 when you come in. And I, I will not unfortunately hug you until this is all over, but we'll get hugs at some point. We'll get hugs at some point. Again. Okay. Thank you so much. Lots of love. Appreciate you. I love you. Appreciate you even more. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I get asked questions about acne all the time, and I'm not a dermatologist. Even though I help women with PCOS, I'm not the expert in treating the skin specifically. So it's so good to get these questions answered and just really start to talk about the stigma of PCOS, the stigma of acne, and how by talking about things, we can support each other better. So I am just so thankful to Sherry for coming on and for agreeing to be on the podcast with me. Please go and follow her again. It's at Dr. Sherry Marchbein. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or on TikTok of the same. And please consider going and subscribing to the YouTube channel. We're doing great things over there in video and I'd love to have you watch. Thanks, friends. Thanks, friends.